In the month of February, we're talking about committed to God's purposes and living out practical Christianity. What does a Christian look like? What is practical Christianity? And I don't know if I, I certainly don't have a corner on the market there. But as I thought about living out the Christian life God's way, I could not help but think about the greatest message that was ever preached, in my opinion. It was preached by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. It's not found in Mark and it's not found in John. There's a portion of it found in the book of Luke. But in Matthew, in particular, uh, the king is how Jesus is portrayed in the book of Matthew. He's the king. And so his kingdom is very important. Jesus left uh, the, the, the conflict he had with Satan. He picked his disciples and multitudes are following him. And the Bible says that they were following him. And so he went up into a mountain and met specifically with his disciples, those disciplined followers of him he, uh, that had followed him, who had left all and followed him. And he gave them this message. Now, there is a little bit of type and shadow of things to come. Most people would look at this and say, well, this is how God wants people to live in the millennium period. We believe that any day Jesus could come again. When he comes, we'll call that the rapture. It's not a Bible word. It's the, it's the calling out. It's, the, it's when saints leave to go be with God. That will start seven years of tribulation on this world where God will squeeze uh, this world into submission. And he'll do that very strategically. And you can see that in the book of the Revelation, chapter 4 through chapter 19. You read that, you'll see God's strategic way in seven years that he will begin to, uh, to make this world say uncle. <laughs> then he'll come back. And there will be the, uh, the war, the, armor, the, the battle of Armageddon. He will conquer this world as we know it and set up a millennium period. He'll come back with his saints. That's really what really is the second coming of Christ. The first time we meet the Lord in the air. The second time he comes back, he comes back to rule and reign with his people. And his kingdom will be set up and it will be very different than our kingdom. Now, God did originate and he instigated three institutions in this world. Number one was the Christian home. Number two was civil government. Number three is the local church. All those are, are institutions that God ordained. He set that up. But the world we live in, government is an issue. It's a problem. Matter of fact, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, when it talks about prayer, he said, you pray for kings and for all that are in authority that you might live out your Christian life with godliness and peace and honesty. This is well-pleasing to the Lord that he would all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. No one quite complicates a Christian purpose in living out his faith like the government can. And God tells us to pray for government leaders. But in the millennium, it seems to me that is where uh, God will set up a kingdom. Jesus will be the world leader in Jerusalem, and those under echelons will execute judgment. There will be unsaved people 
who will be who will still uh, who will be in that time, and that's why Jesus will God will allow Satan to come back at the end of the one thousand years and um, and be convincing. You say, Pastor, why would, if, if Satan's going to be bound, well, that'd be wonderful whenever Satan is bound for a, a thousand years. The Bible says today he's called the prince and power of the air. And for a thousand years, we will not have satanic uh, activity. And that'll be a wonderful thing, just that. But uh, we'll also, we'll live in a world that where the lion will lay down with the lamb. There'll be, not, there'll be peace with, with, with society and peace with this earth. There's a lot of good things about that, but God will allow him to come back because everybody who has ever came to the Lord Jesus Christ had to deal with the world, the flesh, and the, the devil. And I think that would be the only reason why the Lord would let him come back for one more time, that he might deceive the nations and give them a chance to have the same opposition to come to Christ or the same choice to believe or receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the, the, the Sermon on the Mount usually is put in context of what God is going to do in a perfect kingdom, the kingdom of God he's going to set up. But there are very many practical applications for us today. I think the main, uh, the main purpose in context is the millennial kingdom. However, I think all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, tells me what to do, what not to do. Tells me how to get something right I've got wrong, and it tells me how to live right. And the truth of the matter is, uh, some of the things that we'll read today are are things that uh, are really challenging to our flesh, and they're not the way things are today, but they're things the way things will be. But you and I ought to be getting used to living God's way. And so, practical Christianity. We'll start this morning talking about the characteristics of Christianity. Things that, 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 are, that ought to be characteristics in your life and my life and the benefit. He said, if you do this now, you'll have blessings in this life and the life to come. Say, Pastor, I just, I don't really care about the future. You need to be concerned about the future. Well, I don't really care about rewards. You need to be concerned about rewards. It wasn't Pastor or some other spiritual leader that said to lay up for yourselves treasures in Say, Pastor, I don't even need a treasure in heaven. You've never been there. You don't know that. The one who lives there say, you're going to have to have money up here. <laughs> you want to have treasures here. You want to do something in this little parentheses called life, and you'll enjoy your heaven. Now, everyone gets to heaven the same way. You don't earn your way to heaven. The secret of eternal life is to learn that it cannot be earned. It is faith in Jesus that determines your eternal destiny. No one will brag. We read that this morning in our discipleship class. Ephesians verse number 2, chapter 2, verse number 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved. God's help, grace. Saved, saved from hell, given eternal life through faith. And that is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So no one is going to boast and brag and say, well, here's how I got to heaven. I was really good when I was down there and I gave and I helped. And no, no one's going to be able to brag. No one's going to say, Lord, Lord, we did this. We did this. We did this. And this is why he says, no, no, you have to come to me by faith. If you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. You haven't come by the way of faith. Today should be the day you get saved. But the very next verse is verse number 10. And it says that after we're saved, we are God's workmanship. 
You see the key word there? Work. God is working in me, so I will work for him and with him. Labors together with God. The Bible says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, we'll see that later on in Matthew chapter 5. One of the more popular verses in the whole chapter is a verse, if I started it, you could probably finish it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So we don't work our way to heaven. No, that's by faith. But after we get saved, we need to work. It's faith that determines our eternal destiny. It's work that determines our eternal reward. And God is interested in reward. God is interested in telling you, and in context, you see the verse I just shared with you just a few moments ago, lay up for yourselves treasures in, that is found in this sermon that Jesus preached. That's in chapter 6. Right smack in the middle of this sermon, he talks about money and possessions. He talks about treasuries and investment. So right in the middle of the Bible, in the middle of this most powerful and I think the most amazing preaching ever done anywhere in the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, he gets money in the middle. But he's going to begin telling us, here are some things that are practical that you and I need to be practicing. And let's look at it real quickly. Here we go, chapter 5, verse number 1. And hang with me if you would, please. We'll go quickly and then continue over the next five services in this passage. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying... Number one, the characteristics of practical Christianity. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, we don't use the word poor in spirit very much, but it has to do with not being self-reliant. Blessed are some, not talking about poor and having finance and substance. It says poor in spirit. That means they are not self-reliant. One of our challenges in our Christian life is that we want to make all the rules and make all the decisions. But you know the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those people who are not reliant upon how they think, what they want, and how they feel. But they're humble. And they let God decide that. He says, someone who will give up self-reliance will be dependent upon the Lord in this lifetime will enjoy, and I think this is beautiful, a beautiful future in the kingdom of God. Someone said there are just two choices on the shelf. You either live for God or you live for yourself. And many Christians, though they're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, though they have put their faith in Christ, they live their entire life making all the decisions on their own. And God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. By the way, the word blessed here means happy. Happy, blessed by God, are the people who are not control freaks. Amen. Poor in spirit is the opposite of that. Some of us, we even brag, well, I'm a control freak. I have, to, I have to decide everything. You know, friend, the Bible says, blessed is the Christian who lets God make decisions for them. They're contented with God's decisions, His timing. And they're poor in spirit. That doesn't mean they're poor in substance. They're poor in their spirit. And you said, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They're going to have a more blessed future. And oftentimes, many folks, oh, here, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my career. Here's what I'm going to have. Here's what I'm going to do with my money. Here's what I'm going to do with my life. Here's where I'm going to go. Here's what we're going to do. And they do not factor in God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are the people who are not reliant upon their own self, but they are yielded and dependent upon the Lord. Look at the next verse, will we please? The second characteristic. Blessed are they that what? Mourn, for they shall be comforted. This speaks of sincere repentance. People who, when they do wrong, they admit it. They're, they're sad. They're broken. Not just about the sins of society, but they're broken about their own sin. This is something that's very easy to do, is we can get very frustrated with other people and not necessarily very easy on ourselves. I think it has a, it, it can be mourned, people going through difficult times, and certainly that's the case. But I think in context, it's speaking about someone who not only is not self-reliant, poor in spirit, but someone who is mournful, they, they're sincerely repentant. I joke around about this, but years ago, uh, when I was playing basketball in high school, our cheerleaders made up a cheer. And... Um, Whenever you play basketball, I watched basketball tournament this week with the Hammond Baptist tournament several times, some in person, some on the, uh, online. But whenever someone fouls, they usually ring, the referee blows the whistle, he points to them, and he'll go over to the scorer's table and he'll say, you know, 1-5. And whenever the referee points to you, as a courtesy in basketball, you're supposed to raise your hand. And so the scorekeeper knows that he called the foul on me, and so the scorekeeper is aware. But if you're not happy with the call, sometimes you're like, I'm not raising my hand, and you're fouling. I can't believe you would do that. And boy, they would get, people get stubborn. Rather than do the common courtesy, even if they didn't commit the foul themselves, they just they understand he called on me, so I raised my hand. It's common courtesy. But sometimes when people don't get, they don't, they don't, they don't admit it. They foul, but they just, I'm not raising my hand. Well, our cheerleaders came up with a little cheer for that person. And whenever they would not, they would not put their hands, the cheerleaders would spot that. They got excited about it. They said, you did it. You did it. Raise your hand. Admit it. <laughs> and boy, we get the guys all fired up. But the truth of the matter is, whenever you're wrong, admit it and quit it. Fess up. There is encouragement for you. He said, if you mourn, you're going to be comforted. If you're grieved over your sin, God's going to help you. If you cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. So practical Christian living, number one, they're not reliant upon their self. Number two, they're sincerely repentant when they're wrong. Blessed are they the mourn. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is often, when you think about the word meek, you're thinking of someone who's just weak. Someone that's just a doormat. They just, get, they just get walked all over. They're too meek. But really, meekness is an attribute of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus is not weak, and yet he said, I am meek and lowly. You can find rest for your souls. The meekest man in all the Bible, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, is Moses. I don't know about you, but to lead two million people is not a small task. But God said he was meek. You know why? He worked with people. He adjusted to another's pace or agenda. And you know, this is true. The Bible tells us, blessed are the meek, those who are willing to yield their will and their agenda to others. When you see the word meek in the Bible, you might want to picture in your mind a strong, strapping, 1,500-pound horse that has muscles in his chest and muscles all through him. 
He has a strong neck, and then he's got a bit in his mouth and a reins around him. And, and then you can see maybe a 10-year-old child on his back. And that 10-year-old child is moving that horse to the left. All he's doing is putting the, laying the reins over the shoulder, and the horse goes, mm -hmm. And that, that little kid says, I'm going to go this way. Mm -hmm. He moves that way. He kicks that horse, and that horse trots or runs or gallops. He pulls back, and the horse stops. He backs up more, and the horse keeps backing up. The truth of the matter is, that horse does not have to be controlled by that 10-year-old kid that weighs 80 pounds on his back. He is many times more weight and stronger than that little guy. But you know what he's doing? He's allowing his strength to be controlled by another for, for the good of, of, of what he's trying to accomplish. Whether he's cutting a cow out of a, a herd or whether he's going to fix a fence or whatever, that horse could take his, he could take his mouth around, just grab a hold of his leg and just pull, bite him down. Or he could take him under a tree or rub him up against the fence and hurt his leg or buck him off. But he allows that, that child to control him. It's the opposite of self-will. The Bible says Christianity ought to be shown in three things this morning. A refusal to be dependent upon me. I want to depend upon him. I don't want to be self-reliant. I want to be dependent. God made the Christian life to be dependent upon him. Cast all your care upon. Why? He cares for me. Cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain thee. Your shoulders are not big enough to handle your problems. You precious single moms, my goodness, how heavy your shoulders must be trying to, to, to work and provide for your family. You single dads the same. You single adults, sometimes your shoulders, they're just not big enough to handle the loneliness and the challenges. Trying to raise families and do what God wants you to do to fight. You're not made to live self-reliant. And if you sin... Christians need to fess up. They need to mourn and say, you know what? I'm wrong, God. My sin is ever before me. I don't want to keep, I want you to create in me a clean heart. And God said, if you do that, I'll give you my comfort instead of the covering of, of your sin. You uncovered, I'll give you mercy. I'll give you help. And then he says here in this last one, blessed are the meek. And the meek, in exchange for meekness in this life, you get control in the millennium. So then you inherit the kingdom of God. Now, most of us, we would love to inherit large sums of money. But you know what money means normally? You can, you can pick what you want to do. Many of us today, we, we cannot travel the world. There's one reason. We don't have enough money. But if you had some money, you could travel. You say, well, I want to have fun. No money, no funny. <laughs> But he says, if you learn to release control now, I will let you inherit. I've watched people sometimes get inheritance. And when they get inheritance, they go do things they would never have done before. They find themselves in Disneyland. They find themselves doing things they would not have been able to do because they have choices now they didn't have before. They can give aggressively. They can help in different things. Why? Because they have choices now. He says, whenever you're a child of God, a characteristic is to be meek. And meekness in this life, a willingness to be a 
to be controlled, a willingness to adjust to another's desire in this life gives me control in the next.